0: If you believe the author and future thinker, Kevin Kelly, we're headed for a future where everything will be tracked. Continuous tracking including traffic, public spaces, smart homes, grocery shopping, purchase patterns, media usage, web browsing, and so on. In addition to this is the ability to track aspects of human behavior and physiology. He writes, In the last few years, extremely tiny digital sensors that cost just a few pennies have made recording parameters so easy, And the varieties of parameters so vast that almost anyone can now measure a thousand different aspects of themselves. This sounds a lot like the quantified self movement. So it's no surprise that Kelly helped found the quantified self movement, where individuals are using this technology to track physiological aspects of themselves, such as diet, fitness, sleep patterns, mood, blood factors, genes. This space is moving rapidly. And Kelly argues that we will soon be able to continuously track a vast range of every individual's physiological state, communicative activities, and geographical location. This life log and personal analytics dashboard would be supplied amongst other things from constant 24-7, 365 monitoring of vital body measurements. Information like this will create powerful new modes of understanding and modifying our physiological, intellectual, social, and psychological tendencies. We're not far from this future, but how close are we really? What technologies are available today? What's next in line? And for us cycling tech keen beans, how does all of this fit into the world of sports performance? yo and welcome back to Ride Better Faster, a show about cycling training and racing. I'm Damien Roos. The idea of personal analytics becomes much more actionable when you build it around one specific domain like cycling performance. We might be close to the future where warning signals being sent directly from a wearable device to your doctor but we are nowhere near your power meter telling you how to train tomorrow. That said, the data any modern cyclist produces and captures is much further ahead of the general population in the individualization and optimization from any data collected. Things are starting to get more specific in the world of physiology and training adaptions, but right now it's all about the supply side, getting better and more accurate data into the system. And a big trend driving this is the data produced from your own physiology. We're starting to see the inner workings of different physiological systems on an individual level. There are three main ones that I will discuss in this episode. These are being monitored right now by performance early adopters and professional cycling teams. Some are continuous, which is a big stepping stone to the future. But not even the Apple Watch is capable of staying charged for a long time, so don't expect continuous monitoring across all domains just yet. But we now have the ability to see long-term trends. The technology right now is technology that has a practical form factor to record in the field and record for enough time to monitor performance in testing, training, and racing. Let's start with something that's been on my mind over the last few months, core temperature. I should be halfway through directing a heat training protocol with an athlete I coach on the way to a national championship time trial. But of course, things change, and the athlete changed his focus after winning Zwift Academy. So now my hands on experience has been limited to running through a heat training zone test protocol myself. More on that in a minute. First, let's talk about the core temp measurement technology making it possible. The technology that makes it possible is a new type of thermal energy transfer sensor, specifically designed by the Swiss company GreenTeg. The sensor is mounted in a small unit that clips onto a heart rate monitor and sits on the skin. The sensor is based on the concept of heat flux, which is the rate of heat energy that passes through a surface. Heat flux is induced from temperature differences in a given system, and the induced heat flux always flows from the hot to the cold side. A simple example of this is getting cold feet from standing on a cold floor. Since the floor has a lower temperature than the feet, heat flows from the feet to the floor. No need to get further into what heat flux or thermal energy transfer is, except to say that when heat passes through the sensor from the body to the outside, it generates a voltage signal proportional to the energy passing through. Tracking this signal means that the overall thermal energy transfer can be measured in real time, and this gives us core temperature. This itsy-bitsy sensor makes it possible to get continuous measurements for a few days before needing recharging, like when I used it to find my minimum overnight core temp to work out my circadian type. But its best use case for cyclists is heat training. And Core, the company behind it, have been busy putting together some guidelines on heat training to get athletes and coaches used to the measure. This is all based around finding an optimal heat training zone for heat block training, heat training, and heat adaption training. This is done by a test, which I conducted recently. Okay, so we just hit 10 minutes, halfway through the first part, and... uh, The core temperature is moving really slowly. It is moving up, but it started at a minimum of 36.4. It's only just now hit 36.88. So you can see it's not a very fast moving metric at all. And uh, I've got a bit of a realization that it's not as easy as just jamming the pedals for a few minutes and seeing it rise. The heat training zone is calculated from the first core body temperature measurement, which was measured at the second checkpoint. It's then simply calculating the zone by minusing 0.5 degrees Celsius to 0.3 degrees Celsius from that figure that you get. An example heat training zone is 38.4 degrees Celsius to 38.6 degrees Celsius. I'm putting together a more detailed investigation and experiment on heat zone testing and training You can find all this info on Core's website, but I'm going to go into more detail and recommendations in SemiPro+. But to wrap up Core Temp, we really are yet to see its full potential. There are a lot of smart people working on it right now to find out how it works in the field and what performance gains can be made from it. Expect this technology to eventually be incorporated into other types of wearables for health and wellness, which is a theme you will soon notice across this episode. Next up is continuous glucose monitoring. And while this may be part of the next wave of monitoring performance obsessives, it's not new to sports performance or to cycling. I stumbled on this as part of the quantified self-movement back in 2012. Back then, it was the Dexcom's older 7-plus units being used by the US Women's Cycling Track Pursuit Team before London 2012. The solution was a bit clunkier than the sleek units of today, but the team credits its silver medal to continuous monitoring and other experimental data-driven products in their preparation. The next phase of continuous glucose monitoring is being led by a company called Abbott, but Dexcom is far from dead and sponsors a pro team, none other than Team Novo Nordisk, a unique pro team that only recruits riders with type 1 diabetes. We're going to talk about continuous glucose monitoring for non-diabetics, but learning from the athletes that use this tech for more than just optimizing sport performance is really worthwhile. The team checks their blood glucose with a portable glucose meter and wears a continuous glucose monitor. During a race, they put the continuous glucose monitor receiver in their jersey pocket or mount it to their handlebars, and it provides a graph in real time of their blood glucose levels. For these riders, it's particularly important to check blood glucose levels before, during and after a race. The riders have also learned to listen to their bodies and the way they react and feel during a race. They aim for an optimum blood glucose range of 6.6 to 10 millimoles litre or 120 to 180 milligrams per DL. However, as the team says, it's very important to remember that each individual is different and what works for one person may not work for someone else. Each athlete has their own tailored approach to managing diabetes and exercise. And before we get into how a non-diabetic can use continuous glucose monitoring, let's take a quick peek at what the next phase of monitoring wearables will look like in this space. And the trend is going to please those with trypanophobia or even a slight aversion to needles Researchers have developed an ultra thin flexible sensor that could be incorporated into contact lenses or on the backs of watches for real time glucose tracking. These wearable glucose sensors are in development, and the research team expects the release of this device will offer a pain free way to measure glucose levels. Another option that has emerged is a 3D printed flexible glucose biosensor that also could be incorporated into wearable systems to monitor sugar levels in sweat. We aren't quite there yet, but these collection devices don't change how we would use the information. So in our case, we really have to consider optimal bike performance on the bike, which also includes pre and post-ride measurements. And then there's the health slash metabolic goals, reducing fatigue and building muscle off the bike, for example. So getting clear on what you want to get from this monitoring is the first thing to nail down. And in my mind, here's the health goal of doing this. Having blood glucose levels checked once a year by a doctor or a little more frequently with a home finger stick only gives you a snapshot in time. But continuous glucose monitoring forces you to think ahead about everything that you eat and drink you no longer think of blood sugar levels as static points. They become longitudinal vectors in your mind. Also, since dietary intake has delayed impact, it becomes like playing a game of future telling, which you can get quite skilled at after longer-term use of the sensor. With better management and discipline, it should be able to do things like reduce cycles of drowsiness after meals and have much more sustained energy throughout the day. Health in this regard really only then comes down to three main goals. The first one is to minimize post-meal increases in glucose levels. The second is to keep glucose levels as stable as possible and minimize swings in glucose throughout the day. And the third one is try to keep fasting glucose in the low end of the normal range. All of this means you're going to try and fit your glucose levels in a sustainable range – So what are these levels? Well, levels, another company trying to crack this market has proposed some optimal glucose ranges. So here's some examples. Fasting glucose, the optimum goal for them is 72 to 85 milligrams per DL. Pre-meal baseline glucose, 72 to 90 milligrams per DL. Post-meal glucose peak, keeping it under 110 milligrams per DL. And with less than a 30 milligram per DL increase from pre meal levels. And then there's performance goals, which I would lump training also into this category. And because all of this is so new, it's difficult to find information about what glucose levels to strive for while riding or racing. We heard that Team Novo Nordisk riders aim for between 120 and 180 milligrams per DL, but I'm not sure how well that translates to non-diabetic athletes. Referring back to an interview with Team Novo Nordisk, they say the effect of exercise varies for each individual, but it is also influenced by exercise variables such as intensity, frequency, and duration, as well as the types of muscle fibers stimulated. Weather, temperature, altitude, hydration levels, circadian rhythm, jet lag, and adrenaline are also factors that have a direct effect on blood glucose. Each rider develops a deep understanding of how their body reacts so that they can tailor their nutrition and insulin dosage. This isn't the episode to go into detail. Again, I'm going to be doing that in semi-pro plus. But overall, figuring out which diet and lifestyle choices will allow you to achieve these goals is an iterative process. There is no one-size-fits-all plan that works for everybody to keep blood glucose in your optimal range. I'm about to embark on this journey myself and I will record my findings and recommendations in Plus. but the three phases I'm starting out with are number one, observe, number two, modify, and number three, adjust. That will be for all standard meals that I tend to consume and a range of training sessions and how the latest protocols that I've put together in my Max Energy System Guide work for me. This would also pair well with the Jumbo Food Coach app, but I'm exploring all of that in Semi Pro Plus. Now we move to sweat testing. Sweat testing is nothing new. Tech companies and biochemistry researchers have long been aware of the possibilities of sweat and have been working on producing sensors that can monitor and interpret the fluid. Sensors that can analyse human sweat have been around for over a decade, but recent developments in sensor design and technology mean that systems are fast approaching commercialization. Apart from water, sweat contains all manner of other substances secreted from the body, including the waste products that bacteria eat to cause body odour. It's those substances that can help open a window into the body's internal workings. Something like the Precision Hydration Sweat Test uses a reading of the amount of sodium you lose every time you exercise, and according to them, this is largely genetically determined and it's relatively stable after infancy. So in most cases, you'll only need one test in your life in order to understand an important part of the hydration equation, but there are better alternatives being developed for real-time hydration status. Advances in material science, mechanics design, and miniaturized electronics serve as the foundations for emerging classes of thin, soft skin interfaced devices for multi-functional censoring of physiological status and processes. Netflix and GE Research have been working on a sensor on a disposable wireless patch that monitors dehydration by tracking the volume and the makeup of the sweat. The patch has tiny pathways and valves that can channel sweat into a conduit that contains a sensor. At this sensing site, the sensor is designed to detect sodium or potassium levels and when that happens, an electric signal is produced and transmitted via Bluetooth. Eventually, this will be programmed to establish a hydration baseline for individuals. Every person has a slightly different electrolyte balance and sweat rate which the patch will pick up over time. The more the wearer uses the patch, the better it will be at determining through an algorithm if and when the user is dehydrated. And I actually just read a research article published in December 2020 on a study done with a patch across different sports in the field. The first author is from the Gatorade Sports Science Institute. Which makes it interesting. And this looks like the next product that could make its way onto athletes' bodies to give real time feedback on sweat rate and inform hydration strategies in real world settings. So, why is it important to measure sweat rates and sodium content? Basically, hydration and replenishment. Personalized hydration solutions can be prescribed based on the individual's sweat rate and composition. Because, as mentioned, sweat contains salt, which contains sodium. So the more you sweat, the more sodium you lose and prescribing a specific hydration product ranging from a sodium low of 250 milligrams to a peak of 1500 milligrams, this can be adjusted by pre-made bottles or carrying electrolyte capsules with you. It doesn't stop with hydration either. The next phase of sensors are being developed to analyse your stress level by measuring cortisol in sweat. The electronics and materials science behind sweat sensors may need some refining, but it does offer a future where areas we haven't even thought about yet can be measured and help athletes adapt to their training better. And while we're talking about the next generation of wearable sensors, let's talk about how this will play out. I'm sure you have this sense that there are teams of researchers everywhere developing sensors for specific use cases, like performance in sport, but... Similar to where we are with artificial intelligence, the technology is only focused on doing one job well. The innovators are coming up with new ways to capture data and are then peddling these new sensors to existing companies like Fitbit to incorporate them into their wearables. Others are developing them as standalone units with a unique measurement and then adding a standard suite of complementing measurements. Take example, Mizu's HiCardi ECG. The device's main selling point is one channel ECG, but then you also get heart rate, body temperature, respiration rate, and body position. The system is made up of three elements, a lightweight wearable ECG tag, a smartphone app, and a cloud-based platform. As Kevin Kelly has predicted, the parameters will be so vast we will be able to measure a thousand different aspects of ourselves. But how does all of this come together? At some point, there will need to be some type of consolidation of the technology to minimize the devices and the platforms that process the data. You can see that the big dogs like Apple would be trying to use their platform to control this integration. I honestly don't know how this plays out, but it's something that will happen in, I'd say, the next five to 10 years. The first stages of this are being created now, even though, there is still a long way to go. We're seeing ways to build a personal analytics dashboard or a team analytics dashboard by plugging in third-party hardware and data channels. I'll get to an example in a moment of a company that's doing this, but I just can't shake this feeling that even though we're still missing the actionable part of the equation, meaning how to use the data to make real decisions with real measured outcomes... Right now, it's about presenting the data in a user-friendly way for humans to make decisions. I feel like all of this will be eclipsed by a covert project that will revolutionize all of this. But let's step back to the present moment and a dashboard being used by the Pro Peloton to collect data from all of its writers. It's created by an Australian company called Lumen Sports Technology, and I got an inside look on a YouTube video from Victor Kapanats, where the then-performance coach, Kieran O'Grady, breaks down Victor's numbers in the system. The dashboard is a system called ARC, and it's a customizable team dashboard that tracks data from third-party sources, like the team sponsor, Garmin, where they use the Garmin Phoenix 6 and their bike computers and power data. But they also collect subjective wellness metrics as well, which I think is another add-on option from Lumen Sports. So if you can picture a dashboard, it has quick view metrics of name, age, weight, height, and body fat. Then there's five tabs or sections, and these are summary, performance, body composition, sleep, medical, and notes. I'll go over three tabs, summary, performance, and sleep, to give you an idea of what teams are interested in and how closely they monitor their assets. The summary section starts with an area for training load, looking at load status, which is basically TSB, training stress balance in training peaks speak. There's other metrics in the version I'm looking at, which is from the team called performance index. And it's a out of 1000 number of how the rider is performing. I don't know the makeup of it, but I can see in Victor Kamanat's example that it's increasing year over year. Then there's wellness metrics in a visual display where you can quickly get an idea of where the athlete is on any one day and the range of each metric. They're filled in by the athlete every morning and evening through a purpose-built app. The wellness measures include fatigue, sleep quality, motivation, mood, stress, and soreness. And then there's recorded sleep wellness metrics from the Phoenix 6, and these include minimum heart rate, average heart rate, heart rate deviation, sleep duration, and bedtime. The performance section is basically a performance management chart with bars split into intensities of endurance, aerobic, and anaerobic instead of a line graph. And they have their performance index on there over the top as well. Below that, they have two other charts, one with fatigue, motivation, and mood. And then there's another chart with stress, soreness, and diet quality, all done through self-reporting. Then finally, the sleep section. And this is a detailed graph of each day It tracks the metrics from the Garmin watch. So you can see that while this is useful information, it's a great record of important metrics on an entire team. So at any one point, you can check in on one rider. But it doesn't feel like the future. It speeds up certain processes and consolidates a lot of data, but doesn't really help make decisions. It's actually behind the cycling analysis software curve, which is at predictive analytics, while this is straight up descriptive analytics. And just to remind you, we're all heading towards the holy grail of prescriptive analytics. So this is where that gap is, where hopefully we will see something in the future that uses all of this information to make real decisions. But it's simple. It's really simple, plug and play. And There you have it. The current state of monitoring and analytics outside of cycling metrics, we are moving forward and we have a long way to go. But over the last nine years that I've been tracking all of this, I will say that we're moving in the right direction. It's just never fast enough. Future, hurry up already. It's time once again for The Chaser, this segment of the show where I talk about something that is probably unreleased, untested, or has nothing to do with cycling. And this time, some shockingly good shorts. No, seriously, the product is called Impulse and was founded by this guy. Hi, I'm Devin Lewis. I'm the founder of Impulse and I'm making smart clothing to enhance muscle performance. And here's his explanation on what these shorts are. The human body has incredible potential, but building strength and improving the quality of movements is a massive pain. It's difficult, it's slow, and it's hard to know what's best for your body. Impulse gives people a faster, safer, and more sustainable way to build strength. Impulse clothing continuously monitors movements of your body and activity of your muscles. It uses this information to control direct electrical stimulation. Wait, what? Direct electrical stimulation to increase the strength of your muscles. Okay, let's, let's dig in a f- little further here. The sensors in the shorts monitor muscle activity, sending information to an AI tool within the shorts that calculates which muscles need stimulating. And finally, electrical impulses are delivered to the muscles via a network of wires in the fabric. This is about controlling our muscles more precisely and contracting them more strongly if they are stimulated directly with electricity rather than just doing it naturally. In some ways, it's a simple method of monitoring and controlling movement, much like some of the systems that are being tested now to keep you in a time trial position with haptic feedback when you move out of the optimal position. Instead, there's a lot more going on within the muscle and how it relates to certain movements and then adjusting under-optimized muscles to increase muscle level, including imbalances. And the benefit of all of this muscle activation and engagement, I can see glute activation being number one on the list for cyclists, Actually, come to think of it, this would be useful for squats or movements that cyclists don't do regularly more than everyday cycling, but definitely identifying issues or coming back from an injury would be my first use cases. But how about an activation pattern for different types of skills like sprinting, where the muscle activation sequence and individualized percentage is mapped out and helps you refine the position as much as the muscle activation used? It sounds like a pretty sexy way to learn new skills. And while it may sound scary being zapped, apparently the technology is completely safe with no chance of electric shocks, where the electric current feels more like a tingling sensation. In terms of the actual product, what's included? Well, it hasn't been released yet. This is slated for release in April 2021. From the materials I've seen, it's a pair of NICs, not Bib nicks bib shorts, mind you. And then there's an app and even a dashboard that shows percentage of left and right muscle activation in the quads and hamstrings, as well as a visual chart of these two across the 360 degrees of a pedal cycle. Then there's total muscle activation expressed as a percentage of the entire session and current usage, as well as a breakout of quads, hamstrings and symmetry. Also a bunch of common metrics like speed, cadence, slope, elevation, acceleration and a couple of new ones that I don't have any more information on, muscle capacity, muscle ratio and then there's stimulation which I'm assuming is the percentage of zappage. All up, I don't expect it to be seen at races but following along the progression of this technology will be worthwhile to see how the consumer product rolls out especially because it seems like a set and forget system or a system that will control you And you don't need to do anything about it except ride and just avoid getting buzzed too much. But anyway, I'm starting to waffle. Ride Better Faster is written, hosted, and scored by me, Damien Roos. You can check out our membership program, Plus, where you save time and expand your coaching knowledge. Head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash plus. That's semiprocycling.com forward slash P-L-U-S. Until next time, ride well.